Pursuit, I think, is such a good theme. And um, as we get into pursuit, as Pastor Mark and Lee said, pursuit is, is really key to where we're headed as a church. I think pursuit is important because in our faith, sometimes we can treat it as though our faith can be coasting on neutral. I think our faith, our relationship with God is a little bit like skateboarding. With skateboarding, you can either be accelerating or if you're no longer pushing, you are straight away decelerating. There's no kind of maintaining the same pace. And sometimes in our faith, it's important to remember that our faith, our relationship with Jesus, if we aren't proactively driving it forward, it will passively be slowing down. If we aren't putting fire under it, it's naturally going to cool down. Unfortunately, our faith doesn't travel down the path of least resistance. The road is narrow as we follow Jesus. And so pursuit is so key to all that God wants to do in your life this year and in the church. And we're gonna spend some time in Hebrews chapters 11 and 12 today. The key scripture comes from Hebrews chapter 12, verses one to three, and I'll read this. I, I love this scripture. It says, therefore, which means something has come before it. We'll get to that in a minute. Since we, have, we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you won't grow weary and give up. I love this scripture. It starts with, and pursuing God starts with a command. Lay aside hindrances. Lay aside sin that can easily ensnare us. That is the starting block for running well and pursuing God because I don't care how fast you are, if you've got a 50 kilo weight vest or you've got a foot stuck in a bear trap, I'm gonna beat you. You run better and you pursue God better when you are unhindered, when you are free, when you are not trapped. And it seems like there's a secret to being unhindered, which is the first verse says, since you are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, how does, how does that mean we are unhindered? How does that give us the power to run free? We'll get to that in just a moment. But it says here that we have to run with endurance because our faith with God isn't a one-sided faith. It's not just all around God's love for us. It is great to focus on God's love for us, His affections for us, how He chases us down. But if you only focus on that side of things, Jesus ends up being a lovesick boyfriend that's like, please spend time with me. Come on, please just spend time with me. And that's not our God at all. Our relationship goes two ways. Yes, He pursues us, but we are also to pursue Him and chase Him down with all we are. We have a part to play in this as well. There's a cloud of witnesses. And if you can imagine Olympic Games, I love the Olympic Games. Anyone else love the Olympic Games? We're gonna have to wait three years before the next one now, which is great. But imagine the athletic stadium there. There's a 100 metre race. You're lined up in that 100 metre race and the stadium is packed with people cheering you on. Let's go, you can do this. That's the kind of uh, imagery we need to look at when it says there's such a cloud of witnesses surrounding you, encouraging you in this race. And we run the race, as it says, by keeping our eyes on Jesus. That at the end of your lane is your prize, which is 
Jesus. When I was taught to sprint at a young age, and you might have been taught the same, your parents might have told you, you don't look at the person in the lane next to you. You don't look at the person on your left or the person on your right. It throws out um, all your dynamics of your running. You keep your eyes focused on the finish line so as to not be distracted. And in our current lives, we all live very complex lives and our complex lives have a way of overflowing to make complex faith. That sometimes we can feel that we need to be a theologian to really understand the Bible. Like, how, how do I really pray and get breakthrough? It seems like this is so complicated. I don't know what the Christian stance is against these government regulations that they've been doing. It can be so hard to have a faith in God. How do I lead my family best? Like, well, what is the decisions that we need to make? And our faith, instead of being something simple, can be something so complex. So as we begin 2022, we just need to take a deep breath, just relax a little bit, and realise that just down the end of our lane, the end of our run, the end of the course that we've been called to run is just Jesus, the one who pioneered your faith and the one who will perfect it. Let's make our faith a little bit simpler again in 2022. We run the race and there's a call here for everybody to endure. I find people are really good at starting things. In uh, 2009, Usain Bolt won the 100 metre and set a world record of 9.58 seconds. He got the 100 metres done quicker than anyone else in the world and anyone else has done since. He was not the first out of the blocks. Three people beat him to the 10 metre mark. It doesn't matter how well you start. The Christian faith is a race to endure, to keep going, to progress, to pursue, to seek. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness is not just a one momentary thing. It's a lifetime call to put Him first, to seek first. So there is a call to your life and the secret to running well, to doing this whole thing well, comes in this. Since we have a large cloud of witnesses. What does that mean? Because it says Jesus' example and I'll, it's all through Hebrews 11 that we'll go through. But Jesus' example said, for the joy set before Him, he endured the cross. As in, at the end of his lane was a joy as well. And he ran his race. See, what faith does is faith grips on something unseen in the future for you to navigate the now. This is what Jesus did well. He saw something in the future for the joy that was set before him. Turns out that's you and I. He loves us that much. For the joy set before him, that he had faith in that, that he could endure the now. And Hebrews 11 is a case-by-case case scenario of these giants of the faith who all do exactly that. That they have their faith in something that is unseen about the future that allows them to navigate or overcome or persevere through the now. And this is key to our pursuit. And all these cases, we're gonna go through Cain and Abel and Noah and all these people, it may not all be for you, but there is something that as we go through the hall of fame of faith, something is gonna resound in your heart and you're gonna know that that is your key as you pursue God, as you grow in your faith, as you deepen your relationship with Him. For the joy set before Him, Jesus endured. The title of my message today is, I've got faith for this. And as we go into 2022, as everything comes against us, or maybe we're believing for new things, pioneering, going bigger, going better, we need to have confidence in this statement. You need to be able to say it, I've got faith for this. Because if you don't have faith, everything else is pointless as you go for God. This is the Hall of Fame in Hebrews 11. And you have to do something pretty gnarly to get in the Hall of Fame. Like you can't just, you know, you know I gave you know, someone a coffee before church, that's not gonna get you in the hall of fame of faith. 
Each one of these teaches something about pursuing God. Hebrews 11, 1 to 12, this is where we're gonna start today. Faith is the reality of what is hoped for. It's the proof of what is not seen. Remember, faith is gripping something that is not seen, for by this our ancestors were approved. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was made by things that are not visible. And here's our first example. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gifts. And even though he's dead, he still speaks out through his faith. Even that inspires me. We can live in such a way that our lives still speak after they're dead. Is your faith causing you to live in such a way that once you are gone, something is gonna speak out to others from the grave? The faith that you are called to shapes your actions and will speak long after you have passed. And if you know the story of Cain and Abel, uh, Cain kills Abel. He gets real angry. They both bring sacrifices to God. Abel brings his best. Cain brings, he still brings something, but God is far more pleased with Abel's than he is with Cain. And Cain gets really annoyed at his brother and kills him. Now, why was Cain's sacrifice done in faith Whereas, sorry, Abel's sacrifice done in faith, whereas Cain still brought something. I still brought something to you, God, but God wasn't pleased with that. Abel brought his best. He brought the best of what he had. Why is bringing the best faith? Does God just like shiny things? The best of what we had? No, if you bring your best to God, it says two things. One, it shows God's worth in your life. You show what God is worth to you. The second thing that it does is that it shows that I can give up my best and trust God for my provisions instead of what's in my hand. That's why it's done by faith. That's why it's done by trust. It had to be trust. And so Abel brings his best. Cain brings something, but even if God took that, he'd still probably be okay with what he had. It didn't require faith. And so what we see here, and I think Paul puts it first, probably for a number of reasons. Number one, it's probably the first case in the Bible. He might be moving through chronologically. But I like to think of it is that Paul is showing you faith's role in our worship. Because at the very core of humanity, the very core of who you are, you are a worshipper. You were designed to worship. You worship something. It doesn't matter if you don't call yourself a Christian in this place or online. It doesn't matter if you don't even know God. You worship something. It could be money. It could be accomplishment. It could be people's approval. It could be your intellect. It could be beauty. It could be followers on Instagram. You worship something. But you cannot worship God in spirit and truth without faith. It requires faith. Faithful worship gives our God our best and it brings an acceptable sacrifice, and there's no true worship without that because you can do lip service. I can say beautiful things about God. I can pull something out of my wallet and give it to God. But we can do it out of a spirit of religiosity which puts us in the category of Cain instead of the category of Abel. And I want a faith that brings something beautiful to God. That every time I open my mouth in worship, that God says, that's pleasing to me. That is a sweet aroma. Every time I open my wallet to God, that God says, that is. Or every time I do something nice for somebody else, it's not for my own glory, but people see Jesus in it. We can bring to God and keep pouring out for God, but unless it's done in faith, trust to Him, it's not worship to Him. And so the first thing that faith shows us is how to worship. Faith teaches us to worship. Worship. 
And you cannot pursue God if you do not worship God. And you cannot worship God if you do not trust God. You can assess the quality of your faith by the quality of what you bring God in 2022. That's verse four. Verse five, and we're moving from Abel and Cain. We're just gonna let the scriptures do the work today. By faith, Enoch was taken away. And so he didn't experience death. He was not to be found because God took him away. They kind of just repeat themselves there in case you missed that bit. He wasn't there, God took him away. For before he was taken away, he was approved as one who pleased God. And I love how powerful faith is. Sometimes we can reduce faith down to something small, but faith can conquer death. Faith can literally help someone avoid death. Like, you know, on Netflix, when you skip intro because it's arty music and it's boring, God literally does that for Enoch's life. Let's just skip this part. Let's translate you from this life into the next life. There is nothing impossible for the person who has faith in God. But this also shows us something very significant about the currency of faith. Because so often we would expect then, because God took him away, God hasn't really taken any other people away, what made Enoch so special? Why why was he the one that was so pleasing? What did he do? Our natural mentality is to think, what did Enoch do that made him so special before God? Did he do some great feat? Did he spend all his time with God? What was it? But the Bible says literally, by faith, Enoch was taken away. He didn't do any miraculous thing. And subconsciously, especially in the Western world, we have, you have a works mentality built in. Like when you're believing for something, maybe you're believing for a healing, believing for your business. When you have those intense times where you believe in God for a breakthrough, so often we can clean up our act a little bit. You know, like, oh, I'm gonna pray a bit more. <laughs> I'm gonna make sure I don't drink and I don't swear. I'm gonna, you know, live holy because sometimes in our mind, we think that if we live that way, then God's gonna be pleased with us and maybe give us what we want. But it's not by deeds and it's not by works that Enoch was accepted and as pleasing to God. It was literally just by faith. It doesn't come by works. And this is countercultural in a works-based society. Verse six says this, now without faith, it's impossible to please God since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So you cannot be an Enoch. You cannot have that unless you please God because that's what made God take him away. And you cannot please God unless you have faith, a trust in him. And I'm going to go through this a bit because it goes around. I want to redefine this and reshape the faith concept that we have. And so God is a rewarder of those who seek him. And from this, we can see one thing. There are some people that please God. Do you know what that means? Some people that don't please God. There are some people that God is a rewarder of. And there's some people that God doesn't reward. That's what this verse is saying. Because we don't like to touch on it too often that God might be angry with people. And we don't like to touch on it too often that if we sin, if we fall short, that God might be angry with us. Because we like to be like, oh, God's like, oh, it's okay, just pat you on the back. Next, next time, do a little bit better. And God in His love has always made a way for us to come to Him. He would never shut us off. But we have to understand that sin greatly provokes God. Our God is a jealous God. He's jealous for your heart. He's jealous for your affections. And if we are to pursue Him and follow Him, what we are entering into is a covenant relationship. 
a relationship with God that says, hey, I'm committed to you. It's almost like a spiritual marriage, so to speak. And sin is when you are unfaithful in that spiritual relationship. If you do something that isn't following God. And so God rewards faith because it acts within the confines of that relationship. But then the people who aren't pleasing to God are the people who are technically spiritually unfaithful. And God doesn't always like, oh, that's okay. If, if you're in a relationship, if you're married in this place and your spouse was unfaithful, you probably, re- reaction wouldn't be, oh, we'll just do better next time. It would, you'd probably have some strong emotions about it. God has strong emotions about sin because it is anti-faith. Faith is trusting in God. Sin is independent action and thought, trusting in self. So it greatly provokes God. And this is why Enoch's walk was pleasing to God because it was by faith. The one who pleases God is the one who trusts God. I read an article about a journalist who spent time with these Indian tribes and in these tribes they used little white cloth, little strips of cloth instead of money. And while he was with them, he also used a little white uh, cloth instead of money. But then when he returned home to England, that little white cloth wouldn't even buy him a cup of coffee because there were different currencies. And this example of Enoch is an insight into how faith actually trades and works. Because being good, being honest, being sober, being kind, those things are all good and more of it. But if you don't have faith, great virtues without faith are just whitewashed sins. Faith is the key. Faith is our goal. As a people, as a church, we need to learn how to trust God implicitly with all we are. And of that, great virtues come. And of that, we become better people. But like Enoch, it just needs to be by faith. If we are to pursue God, it's about trusting Him with all that we are, implicitly, by faith. Verse seven, we're moving on. By faith, Noah, after he was warned about what was was not yet seen, He was motivated by godly fear. He built an ark to deliver his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. There's a lot in here, so let me just touch on one or two parts. Firstly, there is a godly fear and there is an ungodly fear. When 1 John 4, 18 says that perfect love casts out fear, perfect love casts out ungodly fear because other places in the Bible it says fear God. God would not say, fear me, but also my love will help you not fear me. It casts out ungodly fear. There is a godly fear and an ungodly fear. And I love that here with Noah, we see faith and fear living in the same heart and faith and fear working to build the same ark. And godly fear is this awe and wonder of who God is. We know that. It's an awe and wonder of the amazing power that he is, but it also produces a hesitancy to disobey God. This is what a fear of God must do in our lives, produce a hesitancy to disobey him. And the miracle came through in Noah's case from faith and godly fear. And Jesus captures this kind of dynamic well in Matthew 10 when he says, don't fear people who can just kill the body, but instead fear God who can also kill the soul. And then the verse after that, but don't really fear because God loves you more than all the birds and he takes care of them as well. So it's kind of saying, don't fear, do fear, don't fear. Don't fear, don't have an ungodly fear. 
Do have a godly fear, but only have it about certain things. Why is that important? And this relationship is important, this faith and godly fear one, because I believe that true uh, practicality in your faith partners these two together. It says in Noah, uh, he was warned about what was not yet seen. He was motivated by a godly fear. Sometimes your faith needs to be motivated by a godly fear. See, you can't follow Jesus and follow your own path. Following, that doesn't make sense at all. If I was to follow Jesus to this side of the platform, Jesus goes this way, I go this way. But if Jesus was going that way and I wanted to follow my own path this way, I would no longer be following Jesus. When we follow Jesus, it says that Jesus is the life. He is the way, He is the truth, and He is the life. And therefore, when I follow Him, I'm walking in the way of life. I walk in the way of life, abundant life and joy and peace and all the things that come from following Jesus. And when I walk in my own ways, I start to become a bit more selfish. There is a way that leads to life and there is a way that leads to destruction. And when I follow my own ways, there's destruction of relationships, there's the acquisition of anxiety. When you start to do your own things and what a godly fear does when partnered with faith, it makes you hesitant to step away from the path of Jesus. If you do not have a godly fear, you'll be like, I can take my own path, nothing's gonna happen. There'll be no hesitancy to step out of following Jesus. But in Noah's case, we see that he was motivated by a godly fear. And you need this because Noah underwent so much persecution as he was building this giant boat on dry land. Noah, is there people coming up, why are you building a boat? The forecast is like fine forever. And Noah's like, no, I'm building a boat. God's told me to do it, got to do it. And over and over he was ridiculed. But to have a resilient faith and to have a pioneering faith, you have to partner your faith with godly fear because godly fear makes your faith practical. It keeps you on the right path. And I think in 2022, if we are to pioneer again, because there has been a season where we've battened down the hatches and we're coming into a season where more people feel like we've just got to get on with some things. And so people are starting to pioneer again, pioneer new business, pioneer new ministry pathways, pioneer new relationships. If you want to pioneer and succeed, you have to partner your, your faith with a godly fear. And Noah became this ark builder and only his family survived. He became like a a second Adam, another father of faith. He wasn't the greatest leader. We see and we read on, he wasn't even the greatest morally. But if we just have faith, if you can just have faith this year, then nothing will be impossible for you. We've got a bit of time. I, I like this best, I've tacked this on as an optional, but I love the other benefit of faith and godly fear. If you partner these two together, you live out of faith that will master your emotions and not be mastered by your emotions. When you have a fear, you can either be motivated by it or be mastered by it. Those are pretty much your two options. And we see here Noah be motivated by it. Instead of hampering him, it yoked to his faith. It became one thing that these two things lived together within the same heart to do something amazing and miracle working for God. When we do this, the relationship, and that's the relationship our emotions should have on your faith. They should amplify things. Our passion can turn to practicality. Because you can have this idea as you're dreaming at a desk, writing something down, what a great idea. And next year, it's still a great idea on paper. And then it's still a great idea on paper. Your passion can make it 
practical. Your sadness can be turned into compassionate faith. Our joy can spread like wildfire. Our faith can hold our whole emotional system together so that when things come from your outside world, it doesn't destroy your inside world, but you have a resilient faith that has mastered your emotions. I love this. Just like an ark was built on dry land, but it outlived a flood, if your faith can be partnered with a godly fear, it doesn't matter the flood, the social flood, relational flood, whatever it may be, our faith makes us resilient to anything that wants to drown the world. Faith always overcomes. Verse eight, by faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Remember we said faith is the grasping of something in the future that is not yet seen to help us navigate the decisions that we have to make now. See, at Spurgeon writes this amazing comment on this, and I just wrote it down because he says it better than I could. It says, faith puts her hand into God's hand and follows where he leads with sweet contentment knowing that if faith cannot see, God can, and he will not lead us wrong. See, Abraham exiled himself from his home. He left his place of comfort. He left all he'd known on a word from God and just went. God, where are we going? Not selling. Okay, I'm still in. Can you imagine that? Being told you're leaving Brisbane, take your family, you don't have a job, you don't have income, you've got nothing sorted, you have zero of the key details, Could you step out on a word from God like that? Because that's what Abraham did. Abraham stepped out. He seemed to be saying, God, wherever you lead, the reasons are yours, the obedience is mine. And this is why Abraham is described as the father of faith. This is like, to me, this is like top shelf faith. This is your gold standard of faith. This is your Jedi master level of faith. Abraham didn't know where to go and he put his life, he put his family's life, he put his provisions and wealth, everything in the hands of God. And if, if you are to have this kind of faith, requires a laying down of something this year, requires an embracing of a concept this year, you are not entitled to the full knowledge of God's plans before you are required to be obedient to them. We are not entitled to know all the details that heaven sees but we are required to be obedient to them. It takes a step out in the dark like Abraham did. It will look like a risk by all natural means, by the world's eyes, things you'll be called to are gonna look like a risk. The only reason is that it's not a risk is because you have faith in God who sees the whole picture and know that He won't lead you astray. The world around you will look like a risk. It will look silly. But faith does not look, live on things seen, it lives on something that is yet to come. Verse 11, Abraham's other half. By faith, even Sarah herself, when she was unable to have children, she received power to conceive offspring, even though she was past the age. She considered that the one who had promised was faithful. Therefore, from one man, in fact, from one as good as dead, came offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky, and as innumerable as grains of sand along the seashore. I love that Sarah made the list. This is awesome, great news for you and I, because as we read through this list, sometimes we think these people who made the Hall of Fame are like the exceptions. They're the giants. I don't have a faith like that. I can't be like them, but here Sarah gets in the list. Now, 
Sarah, what they're basing this account off is that one day Abraham and God, who came down in human form, were having a chat and Abraham and God said, your, your descendants are gonna be as numerous as the stars. And Sarah's listening and she laughs, laughs that that cannot happen. That doesn't sound like a great faith to me. That sounds like the opposite of faith. Yet Sarah's in the hall of faith. Why? And this is the part that makes it so encouraging to me. It humanises these great people of faith. It says this, I love this heaps. It says, since she considered that the one who had promised was faithful. She considered the one who was promised as faithful because as humans, our faith will waver because we as humans waver. Our faith will shake because we are fallible. But the focus of this verse shows the focus of faith. It is not on our ability to be faithful to God. It is on our ability to trust God that He is faithful to us. That is how your faith grows. If you can trust that He is faithful to you, then that results in a growth. And who's glad that our salvation does not depend on our faith? Man, tomorrow my salvation could be gone. But my salvation depends on His faithfulness to me. And He's proven that all throughout the Bible. Even the Bible's book ended with, at the end, I'm coming back to earth to restore all things. He's that faithful to the earth. How much more faithful is He to us as human beings? That's why Sarah makes the list. You might not have faith for your miracle. He doesn't, it doesn't say she, she had faith for the promise. She had considered that the one who had promised was faithful. Doesn't mean you have to have faith for the breakthrough. It means you have to have faith in who promised the breakthrough. That's why Sarah makes the hall of fame. This year, it's not about how faithful you are. It's about how much you believe God is faithful to you. And that produces a faithfulness in you to Him. We'll skip down to verse 27. We're talking about Moses now. By faith, Moses left Egypt behind, not being afraid of the king's anger, for Moses persevered as one who sees him who is invisible. By faith, he instituted the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch the Israelites. By faith, they crossed the Red Sea as though they were on dry land. When the Egyptians attempted to do this, they were drowned. Because faith can do what is impossible for unbelief to accomplish. Faith can always do what is impossible for, un- what is for unbelief to accomplish. Here we have Moses who goes by faith, the Egyptians who go by an unbelief in God. And I, I just wanna touch this one on this one because I think it's hyper-relevant culturally. You can live in pursuit of God. You can pursue God by faith or you can pursue God by presumption. And what I can see right now globally in the church is that many people pursue God by presumption. What I mean by that, presumption is, comes about in two kinds of ways. The first one is that you believe it to be true because of probability. Egyptians, oh, well, look, the Red Sea stayed open for them, probably gonna stay open for us. That's not a walk in by faith. That's walking by presumption that the same thing is gonna happen to you. Like when you see someone else get healed, and you're like, well, it happened for them. I'm assuming it's gonna happen for me. It's a presumption. Let me show you the difference between that and faith. Presumption also can manifest itself like this, an arrogance, or it assumes things that transgress the limit of a relationship. Like if you're on a date, you have a young man taking a young lady out 
And uh, he pulls out all the stops. He takes to a fancy restaurant. I don't know what the best restaurant in Brisbane at the moment is. Any ideas? It used to be Aria. I used to love that place. They closed it down. Yeah. Anyway, he takes it to Aria. Pays all the spots. A few hundred dollars. He uh, treats her really well. And then he takes it back to her place. And he's assuming that he's going inside. He just steps through the door. She pushes him, slams the door. Why would you presume that you can come in on a first date? So often the same presumption can be the reason why we pursue God. Now, presumption is entitlement because the focus is on you, where faith is selfless because the, the focus is on God. Sometimes we presume that because God is good, He will just give us good things instead of trusting Him as a faithful Father. Presumption drowns in the sea, faith crosses through on the other side. Faith will have you walk by the cloud or by the fire through the sea and you'll always find yourself safe on the other side because you're trusting a person, you're trusting God. Presumption just assumes something about His goodness, about His character, uh, faith, trust in who He is. Israel walks by faith, but the Egyptians met their fate because of presumption. Don't become entitled to the things of God. Believe and trust in God Himself. Know Him. And out of that knowing, you'll walk by faith. And I'm gonna read 32 to 40 from this as well because I don't need to elaborate on it at all. What more can I say? I feel like Paul's written this just for me to finish this message. Time is too short for me to tell you about Gideon or Barak or Samson or David or Samuel, all the prophets. This should fire you up about what your faith can accomplish. By faith, they conquered kingdoms administered justice. By faith, they obtained promises. Faith shut the mouths of lions. It quenched the raging of fire. It escaped the edge of the sword. It gained strength in weakness. It became mighty in battle and put other foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead, raised to life again. There is nothing that your faith cannot do because it sides with the omnipotent or powerful God. People were tortured. They didn't accept release because they'd gain a better resurrection. If that's not keeping your eyes on what's eternal in your race, I don't know what is. Other experienced mockings and scourges, as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawed in two. They died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins, goatskins, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and on mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. And all these were approved for their faith, but they did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us so that they would not be made perfect without us. Now we're going back to that. This leads straight into chapter 12 with all that in mind, with what faith can do, with what faith has done. Since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, since we have that kind of faith in God, let us lay aside every hindrance and sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. It's time to write your own entry into the Hall of Fame of Faith. It's time to write what you believe God for. To believe God at His Word this year is a call to pursue God with all you are for all He is. This is what the pursuit means. It's not about doing these great things. It's about trust, a faith in God. And through that, the miraculous happens. Let me pray for us today. God, 
We just pray for a greater faith. That for every person in this room, we start to write our own stories of faith. For some people, maybe we're like Sarah, we can't see a way to our breakthrough, but God, would You strengthen us that we believe that the One who promised is faithful. God, we believe today that You are faithful. God, we bring our best to You just like Abel did because we believe that You are worth it and that You are able to supply all we need. God, we step into the unknown like Abraham. We don't need all the answers. We don't need all the details, Lord God but we know that faith puts its hand in Your hand and You guide us where to go. And Lord, for some people in this place today, they've been operating out of different things, but right now as we've been preaching, they realise that their faith isn't fully in You, but it might've been in relationships or money, might've been in future aspirations or approval, it might be in sport or achievement, it might be in music, whatever it is, Lord God, but in some people's hearts today, you want their faith to be relocated in you again. And just like you translated Enoch from a life to another life, I sense that you want to do the same spiritually for some people today, to translate them from a path of their own design to following you, Jesus. And if that is you, on the count of three, I would just like to pray with you. If you need to put your faith back in Jesus, if you need to follow Him again, this is the best decision that you could ever make in 2022. If you wanna start off on the right foot this year, this is for you. And if you need that prayer, all eyes are closed. I just wanna pray with you in this moment. On the count of three, just love for you to raise your hand and we can pray together in faith. One. His hands going up already. One, two. We don't need numbers. If you need to make a decision, just put your hand up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Thank you. I see that hand at the back as well. We're believing with you as well if you're online. Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you, Jesus. God, I thank you that decisions were made in faith. Faith that aligns our lives with you. Your Bible says that You are the vine and we are the branches, that all life comes from You. We're just the branches that are stuck on. And right now, Lord God, lives have been grafted back into You. People walk in their own paths and put their faith in You again. And all those who call on the Name of the Lord shall be saved. We thank You for faith that has come in this place today and the relationships that have been restored with You in Jesus' Name. Amen. And amen. Put our hands together for all those decisions. Great decisions. At any time, that is a great decision, but you made it on the first day, second day of a new year. And uh, I know that's going to set you up really well. So amazing decisions. If you did make that decision, there's three things we would love for you to do. Number one, keep coming back. We're on every week that we are allowed to be on. Three services next week, 8.30, 10.15, 6pm. If you need, uh, if that's too far away, we have a 6pm service tonight as well. If you need a bit of a double dose today to start off the year well. Um, find your life group. Life groups are what we do here at City Point. They're how we meet midweek. We know there is a lot of people in this room right now 
So we like to break it down to little communities who grow together, talk about the Word of God, talk about the stuff that we're going through, pray and believe in faith together. And the third one is start growth track. Growth track will be starting in a couple of months. It shows you how you can progress with God, pursue God and who we are as a church as well.